Welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Steve. I'm Erica. And I'm Sarah. So friends, we're at Holy Week. Finally, we've made it through the Lenten season. And throughout this season, we have been talking about the subject of sin, everybody's favorite subject in the church. And we've been looking at the different ways that we talk about sin, um, sin as a courtroom and a debt needing to be paid, missing the mark, sin as being relational and broken relationships as disease, even sin as omission and not doing what we know we're supposed to be doing. So where are we taking the episode for this Holy Week, Sarah? So today we're going to look at how, how these models of sin or our understanding of sin will then affect our understanding of our Savior, Jesus. Um, I've been talking with some colleagues in my side of the state recently about how different things inform our understanding of who Jesus is. And it's, you know, those things are like, well, how we read the Bible affects how we view Jesus. Mm -hmm. Our tradition and denomination affects how we view Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so does sin. Our understanding of sin will affect how we view Jesus because Jesus is our savior. Jesus is saving us from something that something is sin. And so what we understand sin to be and how it acts and how we do it is going to change who Jesus is for us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This, this kind of gets back at where we started the series explaining the premise of this whole Lenten season being like the, the way you diagnose a problem affects the, what you think the solution is, you know? And so mm-hmm. uh, when you've got a mystery medical problem, they run a whole different battery of tests on you and they come up with, here's what we think is wrong. They try a particular course of treatment because they're convinced that's what the problem is. And I think we've discovered along the way, there's some overlap between some of these different ways of talking about what sin is, but each of them kind of points in different directions, maybe. So um, if we were going to take a little bit of a trip down memory lane to way, way, way back to the beginning of Lent, um, we started looking at a kind of common understanding of sin as the breaking of God's laws that require you know, a consequence, a punishment, or if it's like a debt, someone needs to pay a debt, right? So how does, how does that mentality shape what Jesus does, what Jesus saves us from, or who Jesus saves us from? So this is the model of sin that I grew up with. Mm-hmm. And um, so I know that when we talked about this in the first episode, I talked a lot about my grandparents because they were the biggest religious influence in my life until I was like 12. Um, and how I viewed Jesus when this was my only model for sin uh, or an understanding of what sin was, is that God was very judgmental, mm-hmm. that God had a record of every bad thing I've ever done and was counting it against all the good things that I had done. And I, you know, and so Jesus as my savior in theory, you know, wipes the slate clean. Um, But in actuality, because God is, or Jesus is God's sin, like there's also still that aspect of Jesus is also judgmental. And so that's the lens that I view Jesus through. And so that's the lens that I often read the Bible through. Mm -hmm. And so then the Bible would kind of back up that assumption 
because there's plenty of places where Jesus is being awfully judgmental about how the Pharisees are acting, Mm -hmm. right? Like, and I think Jesus is speaking truth to the Pharisees and how they're behaving. But all I could see was, oh, the Pharisees messed up and Jesus is being mean to them because, you know, I was like 10. So like, that's, that's how I, I viewed it. And so, so to me, I, because of this model of sin, I viewed God and therefore Jesus, not as loving, but as judgmental. Yeah. In a way with this model, you almost have to really say, Jesus doesn't save us from sin so much as Jesus saves us from God's wrath that has mm-hmm. to do with yes. sin. And again, like there are absolutely places within the scriptures and certainly through 2000 years of Christian history that have landed just about there with nothing else to say that the, the primary issue is God is so righteous that God wants to zap any unrighteousness because God must, you know, the, the, the deep magic and all that, and that God must zap sin wherever it is. And so God almost, you know, like in a Shakespearean way, needs a pound of flesh. Someone's got to pay it. And Jesus steps in to do it. That Jesus may or may not really like us, <laughs> um, uh, but he's willing to pay the debt for us. And meanwhile, it's really God's punishment, God's wrath, that is the thing we have to be afraid of. So, okay. Um, And again, that primarily assumes that sin is there's individual isolatable commands. And when I don't do what the command says, I've broken the rules. We said before, one of the downsides of that is that there's plenty of situations where it's not that there's a rule, but there's a right thing to do. Kind of like we talked about in our final uh, example last time about negative sin, the helping the neighbor by the side of the road. There's not a specific commandment necessarily help a guy if you happen to see one by the side of the road. It's love your neighbor and you know don't avoid them. But uh, this this model by itself sort of pictures every wrong act as another infraction or another thing on your debt total that Jesus then has to have paid. Okay, uh, do we want to then take a look at what the the second uh, model we looked at? We, we we took a look at sin as like missing the mark or not not living up to God's good intentions or something like that. Uh, what what does that suggest about what Jesus is here for? So for this one, I see Jesus then as our example of what the mark is. Okay, like that 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 bullseye that we're aiming to become and to be. Mm-hmm. Um, He's our example, I guess would be a better way to put it, yeah. um, of how to behave, how to live, um, you know, and as we know, Jesus was perfect. So basically, you know, it's saying we're to be perfect like Jesus is perfect. And I mean, sure. that's a quote out of Matthew, but um yeah, we'll, we'll never quite live up to that. And this is maybe the, the the danger or downside of if this was all our model of mm-hmm. the only thing we had to say about sin is. Jesus tells us what we're supposed to be and we are doomed to failure and never being good enough, right? That can be really, really difficult. Now, in in fairness, this is a model that there's at least been an awful lot of time spent on in Christian history. I'm thinking back in the Middle Ages, it was Peter, Peter Abelard, who sort of his whole atonement theory is Jesus shows us the perfection of what God's love looks like and therefore becomes the example for how we're supposed to love. Um, and that can, again, it's lovely. You, part of what we do as human beings is we learn how to love. We learn how to be human from the example of other people. That can be really helpful. Um, but it can also feel like you're never good enough. So I'm going to throw out a half form thought and you guys tell me if I am off base here because 
So, so again, with my upbringing in the Southern Baptist Church or influenced by the Southern Baptist Church until I joined the Lutheran Church when I was 12, I kind of view the, you know, the courtroom accounting of sin that we just talked about, the missing in the mark that we just mentioned, and the last topic that we just hit on last week of um, sin by omission or not doing what we're supposed to be doing, kind of all grouped together Mm -hmm. in the way that all three of them make me feel as if God is judging me harshly. Mm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, with, you know, again, that kind of God is perfect or Jesus is perfect. I can never reach that perfection. I can never be good enough. I can never do enough. And therefore God is going to judge me harshly. Yeah, it's kind of what all three of those mm-hmm. speak to me. But I don't know if that's just because, again, of the context that I grew up in being, um, you know, influenced by the the Baptist tradition or if. Yeah. So so I'm not sure if that's just me or if that's like if they are all kind of connected in that way. I guess I want to say I think there are definitely strands of Christianity that, that like to the extent that they talk about sin, it's in those three overlapping Mm -hmm. areas. And sometimes it can be a relentless, you're never good enough, you're never good enough. I've also heard, and I don't know, maybe I'm I'm an outlier here, uh, so correct me or or help me if if you've ever heard anything like this too. I've also heard people make an interesting move where they'll say, it's not just that Jesus had to die, Jesus lived a sinless life, but he did. And so therefore the good that needed to happen, someone needed to live a perfect life, Jesus did. And therefore- it's kind of like this unspoken, you're off the hook. Like it almost like does the opposite. It's like, uh, Jesus lived the sinless life. Therefore God can't really make me be, you know, strive very hard because Jesus did the living of a sinless life. So, I mean, and, and it's sort of like lobbed out there. Like, again, God has some rule that someone has to be perfect. And therefore, because he has, we don't have to be. Um, and like that also to me feels like that, that feels a little bit like that's, that's, why does God have this need then? If I guess it feels it feels kind of weird to me to make that move too. Yeah, I don't know. I never felt the implication that I could be therefore not perfect. Like I was still encouraged to try. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess like like um, sometimes sometimes I will I will hear out of religious voices kind of like jesus loved everybody well you can't possibly be expected to love your you know your enemies then my goodness they're terrible people jesus is the one who lived the sin and like and that that feels kind of like cop-out-ish to me mm-hmm. um but sometimes i'll i'll hear that kind of language of jesus died on a cross and that's sort of that that penalty that debt paying kind of language but i'll also hear sometimes the that mixed with a smidge of that missing the mark jesus lived the sinless life so that you don't have, you know, like if Jesus died so that we didn't have to die, sometimes it also gets Jesus lived this in this life. So what? So you don't have to like, again, that, that at that point, the logic kind of breaks down, even though sometimes that's the language I hear from collective pop religion. So in my tradition, we have a phrase called moving on towards perfection. Uh huh. And in my ordination vows, I was asked if I was moving on to perfection. And, and that sounds really daunting, especially with these ideas of the courtroom and the missing the mark and all that. But what Wesley meant by that was honestly, he, he didn't feel like many people would ever hit that this side of eternity. Mm-hmm. And if you did, it might be for a moment because sure. it's not being perfect as in the sense that you don't do anything wrong. 
Yeah. It's that all, everything that you do, the intention behind it is perfect love. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so that's something I really appreciate about my denomination and in our history is this idea that, okay, understand we are never going to be perfect like Jesus, but we can strive towards that with the help of the Holy Spirit yeah. um, and know that when we fall short, it's okay. I mean, it, you know, we, we still strive to keep moving in that direction, but when we fall short, Jesus has got us. He's going to pick us up, dust us off. We try again. It's almost like maybe we need to, to think about the missing the mark imagery more like almost a spatial orientation. That If like my problem is I'm pointed west and keep wondering why I never you know, end up east. Well, mm-hmm. I need someone who will turn me around and actually point me in the right direction. And there's going to be times when I'm going slightly northeast instead of due east or something. And yeah, that's not quite the right direction, but that's a heck of a lot better than being pointed due west if I'm trying to, you know, say hit the Atlantic Ocean. Um, and maybe that kind of notion that part of what Jesus does is reorients us and points mm-hmm. us in a new direction. Yeah, I, I can live with, I, I think I could see the need for saying, that that's helpful. Like if, if my sins are, I keep robbing banks. Okay. It's great that Jesus died for me, but if nothing has changed in me and I keep robbing more and more banks, what exactly has improved for me? Nothing. Right. And it's not just a matter of there's more you know red marks on my permanent record. I'm ruining relationship with other people. If I keep stealing their money, I need someone who will change mm-hmm. something in me so that I don't keep robbing banks. And maybe, maybe there's, there's something good to be spoken in that as well. Like I get, Oh, go ahead. To view it, like, because I, I do target shooting, and so I think of a physical target. Yeah. Our goal is the bullseye. Yeah. But if we're at least hitting the target, <laughs> we're doing better than some people. Sure, sure. And, like, it can be really easy to slide that into a comparative. Well, at least I'm better than so-and-so, aren't I? You know, and we there'll be dragons there, too. I guess I, I even wonder, like, I often hear this kind of language resonating with folks who are um wrestling with and uh, in recovery from addiction mm-hmm. where like the sense is like i used to be constantly going toward this terrible thing that was my addiction you know drugs alcohol what, whatever it was and that becomes a whole terrible way of life that you don't want to be trapped in anymore and so it's not just i need someone to pay bail for me because i got a dui and not just i need someone who will do my jail time for me i need some something that will help reorient mm-hmm. me so that i'm not living for getting another fix again and this whole notion of missing the sin is missing the mark that part of what jesus does is becomes that one who who points me in a new direction who orients me toward god rather than whatever terrible thing i'd I'd put in my life i guess i i could see that in a life-giving way that way yeah and i think for me that striving for perfection even though we know we'll never we, we probably won't ever hit it it is reminds me of the song from the hit disney movie frozen two uh the next do the next right thing thing. or the next is it the next it's the next right thing that's what i think isn't it do the next right right thing yeah yeah so it's the idea of you know you've you've fallen and you're hurt and you have to pick yourself back up and take the next do the next right thing whatever that is even if it's hard uh, that's what we try to do. Mm-hmm. And if you fall back down, you just have to pick yourself back up. And again, make that step to do the next right thing, mm-hmm. even when it's hard. Okay. 
So let's move on, if you're willing. Then the next model we looked at was sin is broken relationship. What what if that's what sin is, a breaking of relationship? How does how does that change or affect our understanding of what a savior does? He bends the relationship. Okay. Okay. And what like what what is what does that look like? Because like in 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 individual interpersonal relationships, when I have upset somebody, no. I don't know. I guess sometimes somebody else can be the go-between, but like, is that, is that sort of what we're picturing? Like Jesus as the go-between to sort of patch things up between us. Like, I, I, say more about that. I, I guess. Yes. Like this is, this is probably the one I tend to go towards the most. Okay. Um, personally. And, and I, but I don't know that I've, I've given it a whole lot of thought, like to break it down and how does that actually happen? Okay. Um, but yeah, I guess like Jesus is that mediator, you okay. know, when you have, when you're having issues and you, you can't talk to each other um, because you're just going to, the thing's just going to blow up. Jesus is that third person in the room and it says, okay, let's hear your side. Yeah. Let's hear your side. Yeah. You know, what did you hear from each other? He's that kind of mediator that in between yeah. um, to help you see the mistakes that were made in the relationship and then apologize and work to make things better so i just recently finished the training to become an interim minister okay and part of that training was to revisit or relearn or learn for the first time family systems theory oh, okay and so part of family systems theory is the idea of triangulation mm-hmm. where it's the the if there's three people that's going to be the strongest relationship dynamic because it's it's stable. Um, triangulation happens in all relationships. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's an unhealthy thing when you find yourself triangulated. It's that's just what happens when you're in a relationship with more than one person. Um, but it's being aware of how yeah. that triangle works. Mm-hmm. But by being a triangle, you're actually way more stable than if it's just two people. And if it's four people, because then four people, like when it's four people, you tend to break off into like two groups. Mm-hmm. Um, but the triangles are actually really stable. Uh, and so, I don't know, this, this idea of sin as a broken relationship and God being part of all of our relationships kind of help bring in that third person. Mm. But also, like, it also helps, I think, especially with the idea of the relationship that is broken is the relationship between me and God. Mm-hmm. And that Jesus came to help, to, came to earth to help mend that yeah. broken relationship. And in that sense, it's helpful, I think, at least, to be clear that classic Christianity says that in Jesus, we get nothing less than God's own presence too. that like, otherwise you're left with a God doesn't want to love me, but Jesus is bringing God, you know, dragging to the the negotiation table. That can make it seem like, again, like God doesn't want to love me, but Jesus kind of makes God. And that, that feels a little bit like, well, wait, wait a second. (laughs) Almost like, like when I think of the, the, the image in the prodigal son story, but the, the, the son who comes home, like, the father just forgives, right? There's no, there's no 
in need for an intermediary, um, the, the, the dad just wraps his arms around the side. And the dad isn't primarily concerned about recouping a monetary loss or a debt. He's certainly, you know, lost money in the losing his son as, along the way. But the, the, the father figure just wraps his arms around the son and says, you were basically, you know, you, you've been forgiven from my side all along. And then in that embrace, the son realizes he's been loved. And I guess I think whatever it means to say Jesus restores relationship between us and God, it's not like we're bickering with God and God doesn't want to come to the table either, but that God has always been wanting to reconcile. Jesus is what affects that, we could say, but we're the ordinary ones who don't want to show up at the table. Uh, it's, it's not that someone has to drag God to the negotiating mm-hmm. table, I guess. Um, okay. Uh, the, the next one we looked at in our series was sin as disease or impurity or uncleanness. Um, what, 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 what does that suggest about what a savior does? Well, I mean, the first obvious thing is that a savior heals us. Okay. Yeah. And we'd even said that like the, the biblical writers, sometimes in ways that like border on this could be dangerous if misused, talk that way about it surely has borne our infirmities and healed our diseases. The idea of the, the promised suffering servant cleanses us from our, our, our uh, sin sickness, almost like that old, uh, the hymn, the, there is a balm in Gilead to heal the sin sick soul, right? That there's, there's a, a condition that we are stricken with being trapped in sin. And Jesus is the one who heals us of that. This, we had said, is kind of a helpful reminder that sin is more than just individual bad actions, but something we can be captive to or almost stricken with, or even sometimes the New Testament will talk about we're dead in our sins, right? That it's not mm-hmm. just, uh, I've got a sin sniffles, but like, no, sin is so powerful. It's like, I'm dead and Jesus has to resurrect me from the dead, that kind of thing. This also seems to be echoed in, there's a couple of places in the New Testament, I'm thinking, like, it, I, it, it rings in my ears from, um, uh, on Ash Wednesday, one of the, the New, New Testament epistle reading from the, the uh, lectionary, is that, that passage in 2 Corinthians where it talks about Jesus, uh, who knew no sin, became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Almost this idea of that Jesus absorbs whatever the uncleanness or, or sickness or deathliness of our sinfulness so that we might become the righteousness of God. It's, it's almost this sort of happy exchange kind of thing. There's a, there's a story that I know and love. I don't know if either of you know this story as well uh, by Walter Wangren Jr. called The Ragman. And it's his sort of retelling of what Jesus does. And in his retelling, Jesus is this man who walks through the city streets, taking people's old rags and giving them new ones and takes whatever their hurts are along the way. So the person who's weeping, he takes her handkerchief and he starts weeping and then they get a new handkerchief. And the person who is drunk, he takes their blanket and gives them new clothes. And now he's stumbling for drunkenness. And he takes the person who only has one arm, takes their jacket and gives him his own. And they have two, two arms. And now he's got only one. That whole image that the way that story works is sort of built on this idea of sin as disease or uncleanness, that the savior's job then is to absorb the sickness, take it into himself, and then gives us his health or life or vitality. Are there guardrails that we need to talk about with that model, though? Or with that, what that might say about Jesus, especially for folks who say live with chronic illness, or um, mm-hmm. we talked previously about the way mental health can sometimes, man, uh, preachers sometimes step out of their field in depth and start 
making pronouncements about uh, if you're dealing with depression, it must be a sin or something like that, rather than this is an actual mental health issue. Are, are there ways we should be careful about how this model of Jesus as Savior gets used? Uh, definitely, because I think, <laughs> right, like, I don't know, it's, you don't want to say, I don't think it's true, rather, like, not just that we don't want to say, it. I don't think it's true that if you are suffering from a chronic illness, or if you have cancer, or if you're sick, it's because God is punishing you for mm-hmm. a sin, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I think that's often how that is heard. And I think that it it also can become, like, I feel like this comes out, especially when people then get better, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. it's, it, it, people talk about this model of sin, when they are then cured or they've they've beaten cancer or yep. whatever it is but then that has the unintended consequence of coming across as oh this person that didn't beat cancer that died mm-hmm. yeah deserved it yeah, yeah yeah and and the ways we frame it as as a, like a victory like you have lost if if you know, the, the cancer eventually takes your life or whatever it is, takes you like, I mean, that, that ends up, yeah, all, all sorts of pitfalls and dangers, as well as making it kind of seem like Jesus only loves the people who meet a particular definition of wellness, you know, like that, mm-hmm. that, you know, if there's, if there's folks who are living with chronic sickness, that especially like when you're talking about things that are, you know, genetic or, or congenital or something like that, like, man, you've lived with this all your life. And to be loved, to be accepted means like, this is who I, this is a part of who I am. Is this, you know, the, the, whether it's, you know, a, a, a condition, an allergy, you know, wh- whatever, but there are some things that's a part of who I am. And to make it sound like Jesus, I don't know, that Jesus is the one who heals us from things can make it sound like, yeah, Jesus doesn't really love you because you're, you've got this chronic sickness. Maybe uh, we could also spend a minute then talking about the last uh, model we talked about in our series um, just last week uh, in the idea of sin as the absence of or sin as the negative the not doing what what is ideal we kind of touched on a little bit Sarah when you mentioned that this uh, can end up feeling like the relentless you're never good enough kind of thinking are there ways that this sheds light on what it means to talk about Jesus as savior if part of our issue is what we leave undone what 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 might what might it's it how is it good news say Jesus is the savior if sin also includes what I didn't do I guess there's also for me the thing of if Jesus forgives all sins Mm -hmm. then God will even forgive the things that I didn't do Mm -hmm. yeah right Mm -hmm. like when when I left my last call the call that was uh in your guys's area I had um, confession and forgiveness with our bishop. And part of that was confessing, you know, here are the things that I think I did wrong, like that I, I messed up. And then here are also the things that I feel like I just didn't get done. Like, for whatever reason, I didn't accomplish these things while I was in this place and with these people. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I didn't, I didn't feel like I was being a good pastor in those moments. Mm-hmm. And, you, you know, so that was definitely me confess, confessing that sin of omission, that those things that I didn't do. And 
the the forgiveness part of the confession forgiveness included god forgives these things mm-hmm. like use this as a learning opportunity of what you do in the next place mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um but right now you are forgiven yeah it um it makes me think a little bit about that uh the the last thing jesus says from the cross in john's gospel uh that often gets translated in english it is finished to telestai and the the notion of in the greek there's a sense of it's fulfilled or it's complete or something like that that jesus as the one who promises by the end of the whole story to have finished everything even even including things that we've left undone maybe and that Mm -hmm. um while it would be tempting say Jesus dealt with all my sin on the cross. Therefore, the things I've left undone, I don't, I don't have responsibility for, pretend they're okay. But more like God's commitment is by the end of all of human history, by the, by the end of the story, when we get to Revelation 21, God won't let anybody who's gotten forgotten be unaddressed. That at, at the end, uh, to borrow on one of uh, your admitted favorite passages, Sarah, when we get to the new creation where tears are wiped away, there's never a point where God goes, well, I've taken care of my part, but Steve left out a whole bunch of stuff off his list and that's going to, nobody's going to cover it. God promises at the last, it all is going to get dealt with and addressed that like Julian of Norwich says, all will be well and all will be well and all manner of things will be made well. That God promises almost there to, to pick up the slack where we have dropped the ball without giving us permission to say, therefore, who cares what I do right now, but also God's guarantee of at the last, all really will be made well. I think in this model also, in going back to that missing the mark model, Jesus is our example of what we need to do. Okay. And so then by being our example, he helps us to understand when we have not done the things that we need to do. Mm -hmm. So then we can seek that forgiveness so that we can strive to do better. So that next time that situation, you know, happens to us, Mm. then we will know like, okay, I messed this up last time. Let me do better this time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, It it almost makes me think a little bit of the the story in John 8 of the woman that the the crowd wants to... uh, killed to, to stone to death because she's mm-hmm. been caught committing adultery right and that jesus response to them um in a sense puts himself between the the angry crowd and the woman to, to protect her and that it's almost like jesus like you guys obviously should have been protecting her this, this is not this is not raymond jesus mm-hmm. response is sort of you should have been and since you won't fine i will be the one who puts myself online and i will answer this question i'll be the one who or um i mean you, you think about on other times where jesus sees the um indifference of the like there's the story of the the woman who is hunched over crippled who walks into the synagogue and everybody's eyes are on jesus and they're wanting to see if he's going to heal somebody on the sabbath and they're I mean, clearly everybody else is we don't do that on the sabbath um and jesus the the way luke tells the story uh is angry at them and looks at the woman and says you were gonna leave her sick like this you know you you mm-hmm. don't think she should come for healing of course she should come. you know this woman whom satan is bound for 18 long years of course she should be set free on the sabbath and heals her in that spot almost like that when we fail jesus doesn't let our failure be the last word yeah again it's easy to let that get mis you know, misused or distorted into oh i guess i don't have to do anything because jesus will just cover the slack for me but i i think that's a yeah, no, that's an abuse of that understanding rather than uh, I think there is hope to hear even what even what we leave undone, God reserves the right still to get done. Maybe. 
So we are headed into these final days of Holy Week and the stories where these all this sort of gets unpacked again uh, in what happens at the cross and in the resurrection. Um, our prayer for you listening is that the rest of this Holy Week is a blessed one and that maybe the good news of what Jesus has done to deal with our sin in all of its various facets is made real for you in a holy and, and powerful way in these days. And we'll look forward to catching up with you here once we come through those great three days and into resurrection next time here on Crazy Faith Talk. See you all. Bye. This is love. This is love.